The Door County Pulse podcast is brought to you in part by the Door County Community Foundation, inspiring people to give back, to sustain, and advance the community that we love. To learn more, visit givedoorcounty.org. Hello and welcome to the Door County Pulse podcast. I'm Miles Danhausen, and I'm joined today by Deborah Fitzgerald. Deborah, thanks for hopping in the podcast studio with me. Thanks for the invitation. <laughs> Always fun. Uh, it's not so much an invitation as we got to record true. something, so you're you're doing it. You're, there's there's no nose. No, we got no, some you're kind of nice about it. <laughs> there's a lot of good stuff to talk about. We haven't talked about news much on the podcast in the last couple of weeks, so there's a little bit of a backlog. And of course, it's everybody's favorite time of year, the holidays. No, budget season. <laughs> it's budget season. That's what we all get excited about and celebrate in right. November and December. It sneaks up as much as Christmas does, I yeah. think. I was just thinking, oh, how many weeks are left until Christmas? Not very many. And that's kind of what the budget thing yeah, is. Yeah, it's the same type of anxiety. Right. <laughs> well, maybe <laughs> for some. But suddenly the legals get very thick in our paper. And because they have to publish their budgets and all the municipalities. So So 19 municipalities putting together budgets. We'll talk about that in just a second. But uh, in a little bit lighter news and good news for the county, Peninsula Players got some really good news from the state this week. They did. What happened? (laughs) (laughs) You need to ask a leading question. (laughs) I'm just helping you just roll with this, Deb. I'm a reporter. That's right. We don't ask leading questions. (laughs) All right. We'll so, send you for some training. Yeah. Right. What happened with uh, Peninsula Players, they got a $330,000 grant from Governor Evers. He had put several projects into his capital budget way back in March, and there was a million dollars in there for Peninsula Players Theater in Fish Creek. They were doing a $4.2 million capital campaign for the two brand new dorms that they were having constructed. And the dorms are really important because they house all of their interns and seasonal people who, I never really know what to call them because, you know, they're all of the employees who come to Peninsula Players Theater for the season. So they all stay in those dorms. The dorms are really old. They didn't have plumbing. They didn't have HVAC. They didn't have a lot of things. So... But these are a lot of actors and starving artists, so they probably won't have plumbing in most of their homes anyway. Well, and and that's probably why they were able to draw so many people for all these years. (laughs) This is their 88th year, and they've always been a seasonal player in that way. So these were really old dorms. So now they have these brand new, beautiful dorms. Governor Evers had put a million dollars in his capital budget. Yeah. Cash in March. And... By the time he finally signed that budget, it was the first week of July, that money was gone. So that money had been taken out, as had several other projects that he had put into his capital budget. And this was due to a dispute with the the legislature. Well, the legislature crafts its own budget and then presents that to Evers. So he did sign it. You know, what they did, the Republican-led legislature did craft their own budget Evers did sign it, but this money was not in there. And they took there. out a lot of these like earmarked projects. Right. So Brian Kelsey, who is the managing director of Peninsula Players Theater, he, he figured that, all right, well, there goes that. And then Governor Evers announced last week that five projects were going to be getting, I think the total was $36.6 million. He was going to use ARPA funds, American Rescue Plan Act dollars. 
and grant the money to these organizations. And Peninsula Players was one of them. So there were only five projects, and that was one. The $330,000, I talked to Brian Kelsey, and he said that that completely clears out their campaign. So yeah. they now have raised 100% of the funds. The dorms are already up, but they've now raised all of the money to fund that project. So he was he was over the moon. Yeah. How does that work? So these are ARPA dollars that came from the federal government, kind of part of the COVID recovery yes. from several years ago. So Wisconsin just still had some money to allocate. That's where this comes from. So this is why it's the fact that it was taken out of the original budget. That's why this is still available to do. Correct. Yeah. And I don't really know the particulars in terms of there are certain things that you can spend ARPA dollars on. And that was a big thing when counties got all of their ARPA dollars and all of the municipalities. I just said dollars. Yeah, I like that. I was- I, we were talking about we were talking about <laughs> Kennedy yesterday. There's a, <laughs> we were talking about JFK because there's a, a good series out and I've been watching that. And so I was I was polishing off my Boston, former Boston <laughs> accent. And some Can of you it is the rest lingered. of the podcast in your Boston accent. I probably could. <laughs> okay. I'll, I'll try that from now on. So, um. <laughs> so these dollars were supposed to go to, <laughs> to certain yeah. things. So I'm pretty sure the governor would be uh, abiding by those regulations in terms of where those dollars need to go. Oh, and back to the Kennedy thing, when you said, just to go on a total tangent <laughs> here, but the 60th anniversary of the Kennedy assassination is coming up in November 22nd. Correct. And you've been watching a documentary series on yeah, PBS? Yeah, uh, Nat Geo. Okay. Uh, it's really quite fascinating. It's just about the day of the assassination. So it's a three-hour series in three parts, and just watched the second part last night after they got Oswald, and it's just kind of a fascinating... They, they did it in a really interesting way because they're talking to people who were alive then, the security guards who were detailed to protect Mrs. Kennedy, Jackie Kennedy, and a couple of the other key players like on the police force and all surviving people who were there when it happened. So it's a very interesting, and they have great footage. And the foremost expert, Oliver Stone, I'm sure he's part of this. Yes, absolutely. I mean, in the way they color it, because they've colorized some of the black and white footage, Mm -hmm. and so they'll start out black and white, and then it merges into color. So it's just a really, really well-produced story. For our Thanksgiving issue that comes out on November 22nd, Deb will have the definitive story of who killed Kennedy. Yes, absolutely. All of our listeners and (laughs) readers. All right, so we covered pen players. We've covered the Kennedy assassination (laughs) as only the Peninsula Pulse can. (laughs) So we're going to take a break right now and get into uh, more of our wheelhouse. And uh, we'll, we'll be back in just a moment. The Door County Pulse podcast is brought to you in part by the Door County Medical Center. Are you looking for a job with excellent benefits, culture, and potential for advancement through tuition reimbursement programs? Door County Medical Center is hiring. For more than 75 years, Door County Medical Center has been the leader in health and wellness for Door and Kiwani counties. Their integrated medical center provides a wide range of specialties, including primary care, behavioral health, general surgery, the Women and Children's Center, the Door Orthopedic Center, the Door County Cancer Center, and more. To join the team, apply today at dcmedical.org careers. All right, Deb. Now back to the meat of what we actually do here. Municipal budgets. Yes. Maybe my least favorite thing to cover, uh, mainly because I mean, it's kind of fascinating because it tells this whole story of where your communities are going. But man, municipal budgets are now very complicated. 
Yeah, they they are. And even if you know municipal budgets, one village or one town might do it slightly differently in terms of their presentation. So when you first look at it, you're like, wait a minute, what what is this? What is this fund? What is that? You know, so I, as you know, am a bit of a budget geek, so I kind of like them, but they take time, like to make sure that you completely understand what is going on. Mm -hmm. And we were talking about this a little bit this morning. You have to really understand it because we're writing it for people to read. We don't want them to struggle over it. We want to be able to convey in simple terms exactly what is going on with their budget or their municipality's budget. So it takes a higher level of understanding of the budget. If anybody who has ever written understands that if you're going to explain it to somebody, you need to really understand it yourself. So it does take that higher level of understanding and then reducing it into everyday language. Something that makes sense and try to summarize a massive 80 page document in like a 400 word blurb. Right, (laughs) right, exactly. And even simple things like we were talking about this morning, like debt service, we call it, you know, that's lingo for a debt payment that you make. So if you have a credit card, you're making payments every month, then that's what that is. But it's called debt service. But none of us individually are like, I got to cover my debt service on my MasterCard. (laughs) But that's that's how they talk about it in municipalities, right? Right. And so you can go to a meeting and even a well-informed person can be like, hmm. And I see this all the time because I feel it sometimes too of like, I guess I'm over the point of like being worried about asking a stupid question, right? Mm. Like usually if if I call a finance director, and I want to talk to him about the budget. Like, I have no qualms about saying, I have no idea what I'm talking about walking hmm. through it, right? But the average person doesn't even want to get up at a meeting to ask a very valid question. Even board members hesitate. I see this all the time. People who are elected to serve on the board, they are afraid to ask staff questions sometimes because then they would have to be like, recognize that they kind of don't understand it. Sure. And you see them tiptoe around it and you can see the confusion on their face even when they get the answer and they don't understand it. And like, whew, this is, government's hard. Well, and also... We take it for granted that what we do for a living is ask questions. Yes. That keeps us young because <laughs> because only children constantly ask adults questions. Good point. But we do that for a living. So it comes so naturally to us to just be asking those questions. To the rest of the world, when do you ask anybody a question? Yeah. When do you dig in on those things? Or just even simple questions. Yeah. You know, I mean, even phatic language is, you know statements. It's not questions. (laughs) But anyway, yeah, so it is budget time. And there are a couple of budgets that, you know, are maybe more complicated than others this season. Well, you mentioned how different towns handle things differently. Yes. So one example, my dad is on the town of Egg Harbor board. And there are certain days when I've had this exact conversation where I'm like, dad, you want to come up to dinner? He's like, ah, well, I have a, I have a town board meeting tonight. I'm like, oh, okay. It's the budget meeting. I'm like, oh, okay. So not tonight. And he'll be like, well, no, it'll probably take about 20 minutes. You know? Oh my gosh. And, and they will because the town of Egg Harbor doesn't spend money. They don't have a massive park system. They don't have a big staff. So for them, it's pretty cut and dry. There's a, a couple things they allocate and that's it. Sure. Then you might have a buddy, in my case, I have buddies on the board in the village of Sister Bay or city of Sturgeon Bay or something. You call them and, and if they have a budget meeting, they're like, yeah, you won't see me for a week. <laughs> like, well, like the city we might of be Stur- here for five hours. Right. Sometimes. The city of Sturgeon Bay, I have to say, they are quick to. I mean, yeah. they have. Well, because they do all the work in committee. They do. They do work in and committee. And they have a larger staff. 
they have a larger staff. The staff presents the budget and answers all of the questions. So it makes it really simple. If you look at the village of Egg Harbor, for instance, they had a budget meeting last week. I think it was last week or the week before that. They have the video up. They meet on Wednesday mornings. And so it's very difficult for me to ever make that because we send the paper over on Wednesday. When we say send the paper over, just for those who don't work in the office, that means we send our paper to the printer. (laughs) Right. To be printed. So I look at the video and it's five hours and 54 minutes. Five hours and 54 minutes. (laughs) Longer than your documentary series on the Kennedy assassination. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So, I mean, So you're going to figure out who killed Kennedy faster than... The village of Egg Harbor Most is going to figure out their budget. Most likely. So that one is going to, you know, I'm, I'm going to have to skip ahead and figure out, you know, and ask them what happened as a result of that. But a lot of people think that we're being very responsible. And so that's just their philosophy. I'm not saying they're not. You know, I mean, yeah. that's the way they do it. The town of Egg Harbor does it differently. The city does it differently. That's the point. Everybody does it very differently. And it depends upon the individuals that you have who are charged with doing it. And it's even different by statute. For instance, every village, city, and town, and county in the state of Wisconsin has a levy cap. So a levy is what the municipality taxes property owners. So they come up with a total levy, which is their total tax revenue. And there's a cap on that, that the state imposes. And it basically is net new construction for each one of the municipalities, and they can't go above that. So for villages and cities and counties, they're bound by that. There is no way around that for them. Debt service or those debt payments, that's excluded from that. But for towns, they actually can say, you know what, we want to exceed that levy cap, but they have to ask the electors or the residents of the town for permission to be able to do that. So they have a way around that, and those are the ones that we generally watch. Well, and a, and a village has a way around it too, but they would have to go to a referendum. Referendum, right? A town has a much quicker way around it, and you just you have your budget meeting or your town meeting or a special meeting. Whoever shows up gets to vote. Right. Well, right. The electors. I mean, you have to be eighteen yes. years old, and right, exactly. Yes, a referendum for a village or a city, you can exceed it, but a referendum is a process of voting. Yeah. When you go to a town, special town meeting to vote on it, it is just the electors, you know, sitting there and you get to decide that evening. And you loosely verify that you're an elector and then you put a piece of paper in a box. Right. I mean, it's literally that simple. Exactly. So there are a couple, you know, that are doing that this year. So who are those? Town well, of Gibraltar is one of these? Yes. Town of Gibraltar is one. I know the town of Clay Banks is another, I think. The town of Claybanks was exceeding theirs for broadband funding. The town of Gibraltar, they have what's called a traffic utility fee. And basically it charges people for using the roads. And they just put that in like a year ago. Yes, they did in June of last year. And they use that money and it can only be used for roads. So any road reconstruction or maintenance. So that traffic utility fee was going to raise $400,000 a year. So then last June, at the same time, there was a circuit court court case. I I almost said court. (laughs) There is a circuit court case in Outagami County. (laughs) 
Oh my it's god! It's really coming out. This is great. This is, this is like Kevin Costner in the Robin Hood Prince of Thieves, where his accent comes and goes. This is this is awesome, Deb. Keep it coming. For the town of Buchanan, which they had a traffic utility fee, and they sued the town, and that circuit court agreed that it was not legal for them to do that, and then they elevated that to the Supreme Court on appeal. And the Supreme Court took up the case and decided with the circuit court that it was not legal for them to do that. And they repealed the town of Buchanan's traffic utility fee. So when I spoke with Travis Tyson, who is the administrator for the town of Gibraltar, he said that they uh, checked with legal counsel after that decision. And because of the way that theirs is written, he said that theirs is still compliant and is legal. However, it did bring it to the attention of the town board supervisors, and they don't know what's going to happen in the future. It could be that legislature decides that nobody can actually do these. So they want to do away with this traffic utility fee, but they don't want to do away with the money that it was going to raise. So they're asking voters to approve $400,000 being added to the levy, to the tax revenue that they collect, so that they are able to reserve that in perpetuity for roads every year. In a nutshell. <laughs> and so it is. it would be an ongoing one, just sort of like a recurring referendum for a local school. No, it would not be a recurring referendum. And this is the difficult part to kind of wrap your mind around. And I had to talk with Travis a couple of times. And he finally said on Wednesday morning, oh, I know what you're talking about. If you raise your levy by $400,000, then that's your new benchmark. So you never, you don't have to raise it every year by $400,000. That's your new benchmark. So your levy is automatically with that extra $400,000 moving forward. So they won't have to vote on it every year. They won't have to ever do anything again. It's there in their revenue for them to use for roads. Okay. So that is one that is a little bit difficult to understand, but it is not something that electors will have to vote on every year. This is, you know, something like that, or when we're looking at Sister Bay and some of their budget expenditures are, are coming from the struggle to keep up with roads. Sturgeon Bay has been struggling with this for years. It's really interesting to see how roads are sort of like driving our local budgets so high, in part because we have those net new construction limits that just don't keep up with inflation. Yeah, well, of course not. And if like for Gibraltar, for instance, their net new construction, I think I have the sheet right in front of me. So their percentage was 1.3%. So that's how much they could increase. You know how much that is? That's $21,000. Health insurance benefits for just your local employees are going up, I think, 14%, basically (laughs) is what I'm hearing from most towns. And raises? Just health care costs. Yeah. So what do you do with $21,000? I mean, that is crazy. You can't even think about maintaining roads for that. So the levy cap, what it does, it is it really encourages municipalities to take out debt because you can exclude that from the levy cap. You can ask taxpayers to pay that money, those debt payments, in addition to this. So when your levy rises above 1.5% for the town of Gibraltar, for instance, it is debt service also on top of that. But for the town, they're not raising their budget at all except for that $21,000 in addition to this 400000 that they want. Yeah. 
So you're you're forced to go to referendum, which is what they kind of want in the referendum or your town meeting. So that's like the legislature setting a rule that says, all right, yeah, you can spend more. You just got to get the approval put out mm-hmm. from everyone, which makes sense. But then you, you're encouraging this debt service around it. So you're, you know, if you take out debt, you're actually spending more on the project. So you're actually increasing the cost of local government in a way because you're making them do it through debt. Right. I mean, and that's long-term, you yeah. know, that's long-term debt. And if you look at, it's also just an unfair system it seems on its face because when I'm looking at this net new construction sheet and how much each municipality can increase their levy based upon net new construction, if you don't have a lot of construction in your municipality, then you can't raise it at all. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess in a way that makes sense because when you have new construction, that means your tax base has grown. So I guess that does make sense, but it seems so unfair that the village of Sister Bay can increase theirs 3.45% and the town of Claybanks only 0.46%. Well, and, and think about that. Most people, I think kind of the general working number in most people's heads is like inflation is about 3% a year, give or take, right? So costs rise. So to keep up with inflation, you're always probably looking at 3%. So anytime you're under that, you're just falling farther behind. That doesn't mean you're spending any more at all. It just means you're falling behind because of that. You're not keeping up with inflation. So if the best case scenario is Sister Bay at 3.45, and that is after a a five-year wave of a lot of development in the village of Sister Bay, even with all of that development, even with the largest hotel development in 20 years, you're still only going up like 3.45%. So it took all that development just to keep up with that basic level of what we think inflation is about 3%. Yeah. So you're there's just no way out of that hole. No, and all their goods and services. Other for, than taking on debt. Yep. All their goods and services that they pay for are at that inflationary rate. The gas for the fuels, oil, whatever things that they buy they're facing the same inflation that the rest of us are. Well, I think they're saying that even sludge hauling for your wastewater treatment facilities. What is it called? Sludge hauling, like the... Oh, when they pump out your septic system? It's what's left after you treat a lot of wastewater. Got it. So that has to go somewhere. It's the solids. Yes. Okay. So... Ooh. (laughs) So they haul that. Normally, Sister Bay would haul that to Sturgeon Bay. Sturgeon Bay has stopped accepting that, and a lot of Northern Door communities have done that. So now they're looking at double the cost just to haul the sludge and dispose of it and take it potentially, they might be looking at taking it to Green Bay now. So a simple cost like that doubled. Dan Klansky at the Sister Bay budget meeting was talking about the chemicals for the wastewater treatment plant. Things that were 35 bucks a can are 70 bucks a can. You know, So that stuff doubles. Nothing in the tax base can account for that. Right. And no citizen is ever thinking about that. Right. Right? You, you, you have no idea about that kind of thing. Anybody who's tried to buy a used car knows you either can't find one or the costs are so much higher than they were just four or five years ago. Same thing is happening to villages when they need to replace a piece of equipment, whether it be a a UTV, a golf cart, uh, just a a truck for your maintenance department. Like all those things are so much more expensive now. So now they're forced into borrowing to try and keep up with all these things, not to mention just the roads. Or even just at the most basic level, if they do keep the lid on their budget, despite all of those things, Trying to explain to taxpayers how fiscally responsible they are. I know that, you know, I mean, Travis at the town of Gibraltar, kept stressing that, you know, we have not raised our budget except for this, despite all of these increases. 
So trying to convey that to residents, you know, we have the same inflation that you all have and yet we are not increasing. It's a very circular argument too, because they see this, a citizen stands up, it's like, you guys are looking to, re- don't you understand? All of our costs are going up. <laughs> our, you know, my rent is higher, my gas is higher, my electric bill is higher. And the town is on the other side of the table saying, yes, that's exactly what's happening to us. Like that's, so that just keeps driving inflation a little bit too, like, because everyone's doing that. Right. And so then they raise taxes and then somebody's rent goes up a hundred bucks a month or they raise taxes and the cost of you living in your home goes up a hundred bucks or in the case of sister Bay, sometimes 600, 900 bucks a month for a lot of people mm-hmm. or not a month, a year, but yeah, all those things. And then there's the other incentive that it creates. I think most people in Door County, most residents feel pretty confident in making this generalization, but most people are like, we don't want a lot more development. We don't need to incentivize development. We like our towns the way they are for the most part, right? There's all luxuries we all want available, right? But I think that's a a pretty strong general consensus. But if to run your town budget, net new construction is the major way that you get more money, it's a perverse thing that we we have towns that don't want to grow and expand and, and have a lot more development. But the only way to do it and get more money to pay for the goods and services you're already falling behind on is to incentivize people to develop in your town. Mm. So there are, you have, are other you, ways, but you those have it are the working known ways. against, you know, like that is one reason like Surgeon Bay is trying to drive stuff all the time and Sister Bay for a lot of years has tried to drive stuff, right? So it's a, it's there's all these we've incentivized things that probably are opposite of what we would like to do. Opposite of the values. Yeah. yeah. I mean, or the values that we proclaim, right? Uh, yeah. So that is the difference. There's another curious thing about the budget process that I, I want to hear your take on this too, but there is a requirement that everybody has to go to public hearing and the public hearing is normally held and a public hearing is when everybody gets to give their feedback on what the budget is that has been developed. The public hearing is done like way after all of the staff has done it, way after all of these budget sessions. So it's pretty much done. And then you have this public feedback and people show up and they're like, we don't like this or we don't like that or well, you need to do this. And the people who are sitting there who have already spent hours on this budget, they're supposed to just roll over. Is this where you want me to go off on Sister I, Bay? <laughs> <laughs> I just think it's so... I feel like you're asking me a leading question, Deb. <laughs> I think it's so interesting, like the degree to which some municipalities will listen to what people have to say and the degree to which they won't. Like, do they go into this process understanding that it's the public hearing when people are finally getting to take a look at what they've crafted and that they have to keep an open mind and that they might have to change things? Or do they go into this saying, we've already spent 12 hours on this budget. We are not going to change anything. We know it better than you. So then I wonder what is the point? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's like me turning in a story to you, Deb, and then (laughs) saying, hey, could you edit this for me? Give me your feedback. And then saying, then getting pissed at you for having feedback and edits, right? <laughs> which happens what, all the time. Which I want happens, to, I want but we change them. We fix stuff, right? Yes. Because we realize, oh, that's wrong. Right. Towns and villages don't want to do it. And this is in Sister Bay. This just happened. So Sister Bay has presented a budget that will increase property taxes just for the village by 12%. A That's big the average increase. Increase. If your house is valued at under about like $400,000, you actually will see probably significant savings in this budget. But if it's over that, 
to a certain degree, or if you had an increase in value, some people could see up to 20% increase in their, their local property taxes. That doesn't count Gibraltar School District or, or other increases, county taxes and things like that. But that's just local to Sister Bay. So this became an issue because it, once the budget was presented to the full board in October, like you said, everyone had worked through their committees, come up, and they're like, yeah, we worked hard on this, and this is what we decided we need. Denise Berto was saying, I think we need to cut some of this, and she had made that case at finance as well. That kind of fell on deaf ears. So then they talked about, well, we need to post this. This was in October 17th. We need to post this by next week for the public hearing. It was held last week, right? Tuesday night, November 7th. Yes. And as Denise Berto was trying to argue for cuts, they were saying, well, if you want to cut this, we really got to do it right now because we need to post this. So they're up against that timeline. And then it's like, and once you go to public hearing, that should be your levy because like that should be your budget because then you don't, we don't want to have to go back and do another public hearing because if you change it significantly after the public hearing, then you have to repost it and hold another public hearing and you have to approve your budget by December 15th. Which I kind of question, not the you have to approve your budget by December 15th, but whether you have to go through the public hearing process. Well, because you would be changing your levy. I know, but I, I was curious if that was, I, I meant to look that up. I'm sure that they know what they're talking about yeah. more than I do, but that's the kind of, I ask questions. And so <laughs> that is curious to me because built in, you wouldn't be able to change it. You know what yes. I mean? Like with that timeline without starting way like in August. So it presents, you have board members going, well, then why are we going to public hearing? Why are we doing this if you don't want us to change anything? Mm-hmm. And then you have staff saying, you know, essentially, I don't want to start over and do this again. But it's like, yes. well, that's, this is the process, right? Like, what is the point of a public hearing if it's just to tell you how crappy it's going to be and we won't change a damn thing? Yeah. So you had about 15 people show up at the meeting on the 7th. Every single one who spoke had major questions about what the expenditures were and why it was going up so much. In Sister Bay, you have this, just to explain this to people, they have a lot of projects going on. 15 years ago, they bought up the waterfront. In the process of doing that, they spent like all the money they could spend at the time in debt. And they pushed off a lot of other projects that were coming up. Mill Road is in terrible shape couple other roads are in really rough shape. The parks and maintenance building, they've bent to do something new with that for years. The village admin building was built in 1972 when the population was like 400 people and they had one staff member. Now they have double the population, a huge tourism population, and a ton more staff members operating out of this tiny building. So they need new offices for that. There's long-term marina park. There's all this kind of consolidating and reconfiguration that's going on in Sister Bay. That all adds up to a lot of money. At minimum, what they have just in their estimates now is, I think, comes out to about $14 million worth of projects that they, in a perfect world, would do it all tomorrow. Mm. So you're having all of this backlog projects being dumped right now. And they're not really necessarily prioritizing those. They're like, we just want to do them all. Yeah. That's, to put that in perspective, that's more than they spent on the waterfront mm. 15 years ago. So that's a lot. So they're looking at taking on a bunch of debt, and they still have some debt from those waterfront projects. Now they've had a lot more development, huge increase in assessed values. So there's a lot more taxes to pay for some of this, but it's a, it's a big nut, Mm -hmm. right? All of these people are at this public hearing. Did anybody say, oh, this is a great budget. Go Sister Bay. No, not one. And including a couple of people who were trustees through a lot of this previous, they're not trustees now like Kenny Church, Mm -hmm. but Ken Church was on the board for years and years and years. I remember covering him. Yeah. Through a lot of these projects. And he's just like, what is going on here? Like, why are we doing this? We need to find places to cut. And then they had a discussion about that at the meeting. And, And one more piece of perspective for this is 
The budgets, they're looking at increases taxing that much. Sister Bay also has a Pratt tax that's bringing in $400,000 extra a year. Oh, right. They're one of the few communities in the state with the ability to add that half percent Pratt tax that stays specifically in Sister Bay. And Ephraim is one of the only others. And Ephraim is one of the only yeah. others. So they, they do have four, almost $400,000 a year coming from that. They also have become the number one room tax generator. Mm-hmm. And with the increase in room tax two years ago, they're getting far more in room tax dollars every year coming back to the village. So on the surface, you'd say, we should be in a better budget situation because you're getting roughly 800000 to a million extra that like three years ago we weren't getting. Mm-hmm. So why are we still skyrocketing right. on top of that? Right. So there's a lot of questions there in Sister Bay, and I think valid ones at that meeting. And then Nate Bell, the village president who had signed off on the budget and finance, once he saw the total increase and heard from citizens, he was saying we should look to cut. We should do what we can to cut this down, even try and get this to a 9% increase or a 6% increase. But the rest of the board, well, Nate, Patrice, and Denise Berto were in favor of that. Four others were not, and they really couldn't get anywhere, and they ended up just passing the budget. Hmm. So it'll be interesting how that plays out because... It's kind of messed up. Yeah. I mean, if you think about that process, uh, it, it really is like, what is the point of a public hearing? Yeah. It probably should be all backed up a month because I get staff feeling pressure of we need this approved by, there are state statutes that you have to approve it by December 15th. Right. But all right, like if you're talking millions and millions and millions of dollars, like, you know, you should probably look at that with a fine tooth comb. Mm -hmm. And if that means another meeting and another posting and another hearing, it's probably worth it. You're not talking about $10,000. You're talking about spending, I think in Sister Bay's budget, $4 million next year, Mm. not to mention the $14 million in capital project coming up in the next couple of years. Hmm. I, I would think you'd want to take the extra meeting. <laughs> right. And especially if you have, yes, Sister Bay has doubled in population, but it's still a small village by any standard. Mm-hmm. To have 12 people show up, what is that? 20% of the population? <laughs> no, but I mean, 12 people is not an insignificant number of people to show up in person. Well, to and a, those are the ones who spoke. They're yeah. probably more than that. Oh, okay. So, yeah. I mean, that that is fantastic. You're getting all... All kinds of feedback on that. I mean, granted, people turn out when things, you know, when they have something to complain about. I mean, more than... And as Don Cox said, that also meant like 1,050 other citizens... Thought the same thing. Didn't even come and were like... Or don't know. Gotta assume they don't care. Yeah. probably not, right? They're probably not paying attention. Right. Or... They'll get their tax bill and then they're going to start showing up meetings. Yeah. So April is when... Yeah. (laughs) When everybody is suddenly, what is going on here? And I know that this happens to yeah. village and town officials. And what do people, they say? It's all done in open session. Exactly. You should have come to a meeting. Exactly. And, which is, I think, the dumbest line of <laughs> any. If you're a local representative, like saying, our meetings are open, you can show up. Like, yeah. that doesn't count. When you're having four-hour, five-hour meetings, Ugh. you can't say, oh, you could just show up. <laughs> right, right. Nobody can take a day off of work to sit and listen to a, a meeting. Yeah. I mean, that is, that that really does need to change a little bit for some of these municipalities if they want, you know, I, people I would, to participate. I think municipal officials and staff members should have to wear a shock collar 
like a dog shot collar. <laughs> and if you say, well, they were an open session, you could have come to a meeting, then you just get hit with number nine. <laughs> like you can't do it. Just stop it. It's stupid. We have representative government. We elect people to be able to do the things because we don't have time to actually do it. That is how our democracy works. So why do I, I mean, yes, I'm, I'm fully on board with the shot collar thing. <laughs> why do I have to go to that meeting if I have elected you and I understand that you're going to be doing what, it is that I elected you to do. I can't, I mean, I want to be engaged, but I'm not going to sit at every one of the meetings you sit at, or I would have run for office. And here's the thing. They'll say, well, we had all these meetings. We have public input sessions where people could come and they said they wanted these things. And again, it comes back. It's similar to like the village hall discussion in Sister Bay. But at these input sessions, when people are asked to dream big and tell us what you would like to see, at the sports complex, at the village hall, out of an admin building. And you say, yeah, I'd love to see this. Nobody ever, it's not in there of like, this will cost $4 million. Right. Would you love to see this if your taxes go up 12%? If you ask the question that way, I bet you it's like a 90% no, even for things people love, right? Mm -hmm. um, village hall, they sent out a survey in Sister Bay and they said, would you like to save the village hall? How would you like to see it used? There was nothing about like, would you like to save the village hall if we can do it for quarter million dollars. Mm -hmm. Would you like to save the village hall if it will cost us $3 million? Mm -hmm. Would you like to save the village hall if it would mean an increase in your taxes of $124 a year on average? They don't ask those questions. So the process, they'll say they were getting input, but they weren't putting it in context, right? Yeah. And I don't, and, and that's not just a sister bay thing. That's almost every town, right? We're not really good at doing that. And then you just have the budget hearing and you say, well, it's 12%. And then people are like, what the heck is this? Well, you said you wanted all these things. You didn't tell me that it was going to cost this much. Mm -hmm. I assumed, since you were asking for it, that you had the money for it. Mm -hmm. I think that's how most people would do it. It's like asking someone to dinner or something or to get a cup of coffee. If I say, hey, you want to get a beer sometime? That implicitly says I'm buying the beer. Oh, it does? I think. Okay. I'm at least buying the first one, right? <laughs> now. Good to know. Or That's probably why you'd never ask me to go for a beer. Yeah, I, I never yeah, invite yeah. anybody. Um, <laughs> I just wait for them to show up next to me and buy me one. No, but like, that's what you're, you're doing. You're not saying, Hey, I want to go to this place. Here's how much it's going to cost. Yeah. <laughs> Cause if I said you want to come out, beers are 12 bucks at this place. Like you're going to say, no, nah, I'd rather not. I'm going to stay home. Oh, this night's going to cost me 120 bucks. Nope. Nope. I'm not going to have a work meeting with you. <laughs> well, and especially if they have some of the information, like with the village hall that brings it back, like they make a decision where we're just going to tear it down. And because we know it's going to be expensive. Well, how expensive? Well, we don't know. We just know it's going to be yeah. expensive. So those, t yes, it would be, of course, it costs money to actually get those estimates. But yes, that would enable people to make what is called an educated decision <laughs> as opposed to just saying, yes, I love to dream. I love to conceptualize and think about how wonderful the future would be with this. But yes, there are practical, you know, costs associated with that. And, but I've never seen it happen that way. Have you like where there has been that information put out front? I mean, I really have never seen that. Not really. Yeah. I mean, even with this process that they just went through with the village of, sorry, we're picking on the village of sister Bay a lot, but even with the process they went through in conceptualizing the different things that people had to go in and say, this is our priority, this is what we want in terms of building projects. There was never any money attached to that. Like, no, only after they get everyone's dreams, they say, yeah. this is what it'd be. They don't have another meeting then say, here's the cost. 
Now what do you think? Yeah. I think school referendums are better at this, right? Oh, yeah. That's when a good example. When you think example. about it, like yeah. th- when Gibraltar School or Southern Door School, they presented, hey, here's the plan. Here's what we're looking at doing. Then they got to sell it. So then they go a little more in depth. They have mm-hmm. sessions and everything. But then when you're going to a referendum, you're saying, do you approve of building this new gymnasium and these new classrooms at a cost of X? Mm. So you're asking, you're tying the number to it when you're doing it. Yeah. That would be a good process for villages and towns to go through when they want to take out debt for a project. Yeah. And if you're taking out debt, just like a house, mm-hmm. people say, oh, I got that house for 330000 no, you didn't. You got that house for five hundred seventy thousand. Yeah, <laughs> right. Because your, your interest payments, like that's what you're paying on it. Mm-hmm. You know? And I've never seen. I, I probably have seen this. I just can't recall one. But you don't often see them articulate like, okay, yeah, it's a four million dollar project. We're going to take out debt for it. It's really a six point four million dollar maintenance building. And these days, I mean, it's like seven percent interest. Mm-hmm. It's not like it's a smart move to make right now in terms of debt financing things. So we beat that one to death. We certainly did. (laughs) Thanks for opening the door for me to go on a a rant here. So we have reports on both the Sister Bay budget, Gibraltar levy in this week's issue. There's also reports on a couple other towns and communities that have some kind of interesting budget things going on. Right. And that's in the November 10 issue of the Pulse. I think it's, yes, it's the November 10. What (laughs) am I thinking? All right. Because we're always working a week or two weeks ahead, I'm never in the current week. Yeah. <laughs> so when the paper comes out, like we're already off and running on the next paper. So that's what I was thinking, yeah, November that, 10th. I yes. always get confused on this. Right. Um, oh, I just wanted to add one thing on the Gibraltar thing. For the town of Gibraltar, that vote, I don't think I mentioned when the vote is, for people to vote whether or not they want the town to put that $400,000 onto the tax levy. That vote is on November 20. And Travis Tyson is also holding a couple of information sessions on Tuesday, the 14th. So that's next Tuesday. And we'll answer any questions. They're at 10 and 4. They're at the Gibraltar's town hall. So anybody can show up with any questions they have about that. If it doesn't pass that they're going to add that $400,000 to the levy, then they probably won't rescind their traffic utility fee right now. Mm. All right. So I show up on November that. 20th. Yes. <laughs> That's cool that they're doing a couple of info sessions beforehand too. Yes. Changing gears. One last story. We'll keep this short. Northern Door Children's Center. We got a little blurb in there this week. That is where I send my kids. So I'm in there all the time. They are embarking on another stage of their capital campaign, kind of the final stage. So over the last few years, they've been trying to raise $3.6 million to expand that facility. And they're down to like the final $1.25 million. That's excellent. So that project, what's interesting is I got a chance to talk to Cindy Trinkner-Piat while I was hustling my crying kids through the hallway. <laughs> she was lucky enough or gracious enough to put up with it. But it's a crazy demographic thing that's happening with people in Northern Door and probably throughout the county, but the demands on that children's center, they had a capacity of 112. They're trying to increase to a capacity of 160, Mm. which it's just, it's still, it's hard for me to wrap my head around this like five years ago, six years ago of how do we attract young people? How do we get families? How do we get young kids up here? And then just like that, they're looking at adding like 30% capacity. So people are having babies. Yeah, that's what it means. People. (laughs) It's the same with, 
the Children's Center in Sturgeon Bay. Well, actually, technically, Sevastopol. That one is almost done, by the way. It's massive. It's beautiful. I need to reconnect with them to find out where they are in that process. But because I go by it all the time, I'm always taking photos of it, and I always forget to put them in the paper. But I think I have every single week of construction. (laughs) But it's a beautiful building, and I think their capacity was about that, too, that they were looking at for, I think it was 160. But it's wild. Like, five years ago... Four years ago, probably, was when those stories about the daycare and certain base shutting down, Northern Door struggling to meet the needs of all the families up there. And now we have these two expansion projects that are growing to great lengths to to help address this situation. So it's nice to see a, a kind of crisis turn around into something so good. And uh, right. a lot of private philanthropy going into that, some state dollars going into that. At Northern Door Children's Center, this phase of it isn't like they're you won't see a big addition as much as you'll see like inside the building reconfiguring of spaces because it's interesting to, to, you know, if you have eight, I think it's like a, for babies and young toddlers, you can only have eight kids to in one, any given. That's the ratio. Well, the ratio is that's kids to room. I think it's one to four, okay. like one oh, right. teacher to four students, but no more than eight in a room. So you're constrained by like the staffing level, but you're also constrained by your room. So you might have a huge room, but you can only have eight kids in there. So what they're trying to do is reconfigure the space so it's more malleable because at a certain time they might have a lot of infants Mm. or at another time they might have a lot of two and a half year olds, which you need to reconfigure those spaces to get the maximum use out of them based That's on the age really of those smart. kids. That's smart planning. Yeah. I mean, so you can shrink the size of a room basically, depending upon what the type of category that you have of kids. That, whatever that wave coming through is right, right. now. And for anyone who's ever been in that building, right now they have like two offices and each office is, you know, their staff is on top of each other. And talking to their staff there, like, like Cindy, who's the executive director, she's like, I'm fine with it. I like that camaraderie. But five years from now, I'm probably going to retire in that time frame. And when they hire a new executive director, whoever that might be, that might be the type of person who needs to operate, just needs an office, Mm. you know, like their own office to focus on fundraising or just the administration of what will then be a much larger facility. Cindy's been there 20 years. So the dynamic is changing. But the other thing that was really interesting is, and I see this just in the, the cohort of parents that are in there right now, but she said, 20 years ago when I started, we had a lot more people looking for part-time daycare. So people who worked weekends and then two days during the week, but they could take care of their kids at home, the other three, you know, waiters, waitresses, cooks, service industry folks. And then this was changing heading into COVID and then COVID just totally flipped it. So now she said a lot of the parents they're seeing are people where at least like one family member works remotely and they're more traditional nine to fivers. They need full-time daycare. So they need Monday through Friday, like my wife and I. And that has been a shift for that and put more demands on that daycare center. Just the difference in the type of people and how they're making a living in Door County has changed dramatically in a five-year period. Sure. And they probably, well, they're five years older. I mean, I know you've looked a little bit into the demographics on this, Miles. I don't know if you know the answer to this or not, but so the number of children has increased, but what about the childbearing age demographic? Has that increased? Because it could just be that, like we said, people are just having lots of babies. Or it could be that there are... That age has increased a bit. So Village of Sister Bay specifically went from about 800 and maybe off by a few of this, but like 880 to 1140 in a 10-year period from 2010 to 2020. The number of children under the age of five 
in 2010 was 22. The number of children under the age of five in 2020 was 101. Right. So, so are five they moving times? Sure, but are they moving in, or are they just having, like I said earlier, lots of babies? Moving in. So you have a three hundred okay. person increase in population, right? Yeah. The average age, the median age in Sister Bay, actually dropped under sixty. Now it was like sixty three or sixty five. Now it's like fifty eight. So think of to bring an an average down like that. That's a lot of people at a younger child rearing sure. age that have to do that because you're also dealing with the scan population, which is always going to skew Sister Bay's average age. Right. Too. So it sounds then like the younger families have been attracted. Yes. I mean, so that demographic is, it, it's not just that the size of families is larger and that people are having more yeah, kids. It, it's that those child's bearing age kids. Yes. They are. Well, the child bearing age adults. Child hopefully. Bear- hopefully um <laughs> That would be... Well, technically, man, you are... Man, all those chemicals in our food are really changing. Actually, there was a story about that. Without digressing too much more, the interesting part of this is they're increasing like that to meet the demand that's there now. They still have to find people mm-hmm. to staff for those 160, and that's tough. So there's a housing component that comes into that, right? So there has been a lot of housing built in Sister Bay in that area. A good chunk of it, like 70-some units now, are locked-in affordable housing units. They still need to do more to meet the demand up there. Because those are full. Those are full. Yeah. And Sister Bay is looking at building a lot more at the Wiltsey property. But from a holistic perspective, they're not having conversations, I I know this, with the Children's Center about this. Because if Children's Center increases to 160-person capacity, but let's say you added in the next five or 10 years 100 more affordable housing units, and most of those units, what Sister Bay would like to do is lock them in for people who are working in the community. So it must be... That sort of weeds out a lot, not all retirement age people, but a lot of them. And because a lot of retirees in our community still work 30 hours a week. But if you do add 100 units and you're adding those and locking them in for local workforce, that means they're more of like more likely to be the childbearing age. You're going to put a lot more demand on this stake here (laughs) that it will not then be able to meet. So there's a cycle going on there that's going to be very interesting to watch over the next few years. And holistic planning. That yeah. needs to take place. I mean, that it maybe it's easy for us to see because we cover these different components and yeah. we see how they fit together. But if you're working, if you're building housing, you're not thinking about the child care center down right. the street. If you're a village employee, you're not thinking about that either. I mean, you're thinking about the needs of the village. And so it really does give us kind of that bird's eye view. So you should listen to every single thing. Every we single say. podcast. Yeah. <laughs> well, and to be fair, even though I'm a reporter, in my time, I've probably written two or three stories about the daycare center or daycare in general. Two or three. Well, up until about like the crisis hit. But in that, all those years before that, like 15 years, I, it wasn't a major thing that I thought much about. No, sure. It wasn't a crisis. Now I have yeah. kids. I walk in that building every day. I'm like, oh, wow. Now I have a totally different understanding. Mm-hmm. And now I see it. Even though my job is as a reporter, you get a little bit of that view. Also being a parent now, you get that too. It's just like the difference of, you know, you being involved with the ridges, you're particularly attuned to a lot of those issues and environmental issues that if you're not involved with it, yeah, you still care, but you're mm-hmm. not, you don't see the day to day, right? Right. So, And you don't have a responsibility to care. Yes. <laughs> I mean, yeah, there's a lot of things to care about. You have to prioritize. And now we're at 57 minutes. So okay. people are probably the three people who are still listening to the end of this podcast. <laughs> and uh, I hope you got everything you wanted out of it, yes. but we're going to let you go. All yeah. right. 
Thanks for thanks letting for, me jump on a soapbox. Yeah, well, thanks for having me. <laughs> thanks for having me in here to listen to you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> One more Boston accent, anything? Uh, let's see. Um, so our uh, sweet corn we put into <laughs> storage. <laughs> I like that. It's shifted in mid-sentence. That's great. Yes. Yeah. Uh, well, storage. With I can't say anything you know, about storage. Yeah, storage <laughs> is just regular. I mean, so. No, it wasn't. When you slipped into the accent oh, right really? there, you did say it differently. We put our sweet yeah. corn into storage, yeah. Yeah. Okay. We're going to start a new thing where the podcast just starts with a random accent from Deb. That sounds great. That's the first 30 seconds. All right, you guys can, you can move on to the next podcast if you haven't already. So we'll talk to you again really soon. Thank you so much for listening to the Door County Pulse podcast. This podcast is produced by Miles Danhausen Jr. and edited by Rachel Lucas. If you want to help us continue to create more great episodes just like this one, visit our website at doorcountypulse.com.